as showcased on NBC's The Today Show. From the Tips is sponsored by Remask. Keep your friends, family, colleagues, and students safe as can be with the highest quality masks on the market today. Use code COLIN15 for 15% off. That's C-O-L-I-N-1-5. For more information, go to www.remask.com. That's R-E-M-A-S-Q-U-E.com. Now, your hosts, the Rush Brothers, Scott and Colin. Welcome, everyone. Yes, we are at episode five of From the Tips. And if you're a, a Jersey number guy, that would be the Jason Kidd episode. I think he was number five most of his career. From the Tips and the Believe Podcast Network, Colin Resch. Scott Resch is in Park City. I'm in Mariposa, California. Joining us from Phoenix, Arizona, the guy that I lit up our senior year of high school for 28 and 24 points, respectively, Rob Rochelle. Rob, how you doing, we, buddy? We need a fact check on that 28 <laughs> and 24 before we before we go any further. I'm going off of memory, dude. So um, I'm just joking. We'll look it up <laughs> later. You guys, but, but you guys both you guys lit me up way more than I lit you up, that's for sure. Yeah, Scott, what did you do to oh, Rob? How, how'd you treat him? All I know is the game that we won in overtime, I remember, I think it was my senior year, you got your you got your picture in the paper, Colin. For as being the hero of the game, but I remember you kicked it to me in the corner, and I, I don't know, maybe it was Rob fouled me on a three, and I had to make all three <laughs> to send it to overtime, and I did. Oh, let's there might have been a there might have been a one line mention of that in the article in the <laughs> Seattle Times the next day, but Scott Colin, had you got all Scott the glory. had three points in that game, but there was a three <laughs> that mattered. Hey, hey, it's not how many you have; it's the kind you have. We can we can cue the glory day soundtrack yeah, and just fire exactly. that baby up and just exactly. reminisce. Yeah. <laughs> so for everyone that doesn't know who Rob Rochelle is, uh, director of instruction at TPC Scottsdale, is this still true? Right. Correct. Yep. That's home. Uh, swing coach for the Women's Open champion of 2020, Sophia Popov, the swing coach for UW alum Joel Damon, and also for a longtime. A tour veteran Kevin Streelman. Who am I missing? There's got to be more. That's that's probably the big boys and girls. Uh, so great win for Sophia this last year. But those are the three probably big main tour people that I work with. I've got a handful of of players scattered around the uh, Corn Ferry Tour, Canadian, Latin America, mini tours, colleges, high schools, all the way kind of up and down the ladder. So it's been fun. Been a lot of great players, and it's uh, I've just been doing it my whole life. This is really kind of really all I've ever done whether playing or coaching or teaching it's it's all been around on the golf course all day every day so we obviously we started this by talking about our past we go all the way back to high school we were at rival high schools um, became friends after that which is amazing but you went to UW uh, Scott went to UW so you guys were both there at the same time and obviously both Huskies I went to a school in in Oregon but grew up a Husky fan so we all have that in common kind of our, our love for UW yeah, so it all started for me at Washington. I was—I don't know if you do you guys know the Evans Scholarship is. You know what that is? Yeah, for sure, absolutely. In fact, one of our good friends was a recipient of that as well. So that was my original path to Washington. I was an Evans Scholar. I got at Everett Country Club, and that's sort of. And I got into Washington and was just happy to be there. Didn't play golf, and then, um, the end of my sophomore year, I decided to try to walk on and play, and that was the sort of the beginning of my—I would say—my career as a professional golfer and golfer. I just sort of wandered way, my way on and made the team. And then the first chance I had to qualify, I qualified for our travel squad. Then I didn't miss really the rest of my career. I played the next four years and 
um, that was kind of the beginning of all of it for me was probably getting the Evans and that walk-on deal. Those are the two big fork in the roads for me. What did you, what do you attribute that to being able to go from walk-on to uh, an accomplished player at that level and then eventually a, a professional? What did it take for you to sort of separate yourself, not, a, you know, at that level um, coming in as someone who, who didn't have a scholarship? Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it'd be fun if I was at school to, to try to play. Like I was just like, I worked at Echo Falls, which is close to you guys, you know, through college um carts and inside the golf shop on the weekends to make some money I just played in tournaments and stuff and I was just like I just knew a bunch of the guys that were on the team just because I played in some amateur events and and just got on the team and really it was just once I got on the team I was I kind of felt like the underdog and I was happy to be there and I was just like maybe the competitor in me fired up by you guys beating me in hoops every week in <laughs> high school uh just could be like hey I'm gonna I'm gonna dig in and see if I can just work my way past these guys and I just started to play better. I finally started to get a little instruction. I finally started to practice a little bit more. I started skipping school more, which is probably not great, but that all led to me starting to get a lot better. Yeah. So it was, it was more than just a mental fortitude thing. It was, then you started to, to practice more and then you started to get some instruction and, and that combination of factors then is sort of what, what, what made it come together for you. Yeah, that was it. And then in just, you know, getting a lot of chances to play some high-end tournament golf against some good players. And, and, you know, day in and day out, guys I looked up to as junior golfers in college were now my teammates. And, you know, you just, once you're in with them every day, you're like, okay, these guys aren't that good. I can find a way to beat them one day and maybe another day. And it was just like, I was just constantly getting feedback from coaches and the guys around me. Like, you know, sometimes you go out and shoot a couple under par and you get beat. And it's like, okay, I just need to reframe what I think is pretty good and then find a way to do it. And I just was never really afraid of the work. I was always, I've always sort of been in the trenches with this stuff. And I was just like, I'm just going to keep going and see what happens. And sort of asking the coaches a little bit more for help and started to work with Jeff Costin up in the Northwest toward a, towards the end of my college career. And all those things were all just little nudges for me along the way that helped, uh, that helped me just be like, man, I'm, maybe I'm better than I think I am. Do you still play hoops at all? No, no hoops for me, man. <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all past that too. Uh, you mentioned you mentioned Everett Country Club, man. Uh, the famous hole there, I remember. It writes sixteen Hogan's Alley, yeah. right? Yeah, two sixty five. It's straight away. It's got these. I mean, at seven iron height, it's probably about twenty five feet across. So yeah, you're almost yeah. better like throwing a driver on the deck and just chipping a little driver down there because it was the widest area for ball flight. So you just hit like a little cut driver and hopefully you just squeeze it up in between those trees. Well, I remember a, pl a tournament in high school. I helped a friend. Um, I caddied for him. Uh, it must have been obviously a league tournament or districts or whatever. And, and we were paired with you. And I had no idea how good of a golfer you were. I just knew that I played basketball against this guy and uh, seemed like an all right <laughs> dude as, as much as we kind of hated each other on the course. But um, you were just, uh, to me, on, on a different level than – than the guys I was looking around seeing that day. Yeah. And, and then you said, you know, you made your way to UW and, and and kind of figured it out. At what point at UW, I mean, you, you briefly just touched on it, but did you know that uh, ultimately I can become this type of a player? Yeah, I, I'd say probably the middle of my junior year, I was I was slowly starting to finish better in college tournaments. I mean, I, I think the first one I played in, I finished eighth or ninth and just – stumbled my way around I didn't think I was playing that great but when I got in I didn't know I didn't hadn't seen any of the scores but 
with just getting better. The the 1997 state amateur is probably where things took off for me. I, you know, I just played like any other event. I played them every summer, but that year I got myself in contention. I remember I made like a triple bogey on maybe my seventh or eighth hole, and I was maybe six or seven back at that point. And then I think I played the last 11 holes seven under, and I won by two. Mm. And that that was the one that to me kickstarted really everything. I think I qualified for the USAM two days later in the in like a little thirty six hole qualifier, and that opened up all kinds of doors to go play some nationwide big amateur events. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm playing against some good players and winning some events. And and I was like, I'm actually going to think about maybe trying to turn pro. That would be a couple years later for me. But that was the first time I was really like, hey, I, I'm actually pretty decent at this, and um, and started to kind of aggressively push even harder on what I was doing. Well, your first professional tournament, I remember I had you when I was a producer and reporter at Q13 in Seattle. I had you on the show, and your first pro tournament, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the Sony Open, and that's the tournament, Michelle, we played in. Yeah, yeah, we used to have – it was so funny. We used to go to – you know, Charlie Hoffman and I and a couple other guys would used to go over and try to Monday qualify for that thing. We'd always used to say if we got beat in the Monday qualifier that Michelle, we was in, you had to pay for the room. Like, that was the wager. Like, if you lost, you you had to pay for it, so – uh, yeah, she played in that event. I think I made the cut, um, finished maybe 50th or something like that. But on the PJ Tour, that was the first real, you know, real look at a, at a big kind of world-class event that I had played in. I played year, year before, but the PJ Tour is just different. Well, and then because she was in it, the hype of that tournament around, uh, you know, a female playing in it, obviously Sorenstam has, and, and there's been a few. But uh, what was that like going in there, knowing that all the focus was on someone that, that – you know, never had gotten that sort of focus in a PGA event before. Yeah, it's fine. I mean, the, the, she deserved it really yeah. at that point. I mean, yeah. she'd played so well and, and she was so young that it's just, it's sort of mind boggling. You know, she was a 12 year old playing at 7,000 yards in these Monday qualifiers a couple years earlier and shot 71. I think I barely beat her shot 70. Wow. And it's, wow. it's just like, who does that? Like, <laughs> I don't even know what that is. So incredible, it, super cool and incredible. Um, I was just, Honestly, at that point, I was just thrilled to be playing those events. Uh, I had just finished a year, my first full year in Europe the year before, so I was I would have been traveling a bunch and was just excited to get going on the PGA Tour. And, you know, it's just it's what you dream of, really. And it was, you know, everything that I'd kind of hoped for. Going to Hawaii was great. My family came over, my you know, my brother. And then I, we had a huge crew. Har came over and TC came over. All those guys all came, made the flight over. So it was a great week. How did that time in Europe help shape you, both as a player and um – a person. Yeah. So I had never been to Europe before in my life. And, uh, two, well, before my year on the PJ tour, I was just tired of playing the mini tours in, in Arizona and in the States because I was doing well and I was winning, but it wasn't getting me any status anywhere else. Like you can win every single gateway event in Phoenix, but it, it gives you a nice check, but it doesn't give you any status on the bigger tours. So I was like, I had to skip a couple of big events at the end of the year. And, and, and we just went over and I tried to qualify and it was, it was probably one of the things that really propelled me onto the PGA tour was, you know, playing over there. I kept my card barely, uh, after a full season, I think I played 26 events in 23 countries. So China, Russia, South Africa, I went to the middle East and played every European country. It was really a, for somebody that had never been anywhere before I, I went everywhere. It was awesome, but tiring as well. Well, I saw you, I don't know if you remember this, we randomly ran into each other at a bar in Austin, Texas. I was moving to Charlotte, North Carolina for a TV job, and we look over and we're like, Resh? Rochelle? What? I mean, you were playing an event <laughs> then in Austin, so that would have been 
2002. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably the Canadian tour swing that went through okay. Austin, Texas, which is really strange, but that's probably the reason I was there. <laughs> Mm-hmm. so yeah. we were out and about i do remember that was a great we had a couple great events there and a good group of people we were probably out and about enjoying i think south by southwest was going at the same time as well yeah yeah it was a tail end yeah more music based but uh then but man that was a great that was a great couple of weeks you you move on uh, you played what the 2005 u.s open um we'll talk about yep. that re- real quick was that if you look back at the season you were on the tour then was that the highlight yeah, probably. I mean, I kind of got my like my teeth kicked in a little bit on the PGA Tour. There's just a lot of good players, and I, I was pretty. When I got through halfway through the year, I, I was way t- more tired than I thought I'd be. I, I think I had spent 50 of 60 weeks on the road, and and 25 of those were on in basically traveling to you know, going all over the world. I'd go to China, then back to the UK, then I'd go back to China, and it was just a crazy schedule. So by the time that U.S. Open came, and I had a decent U.S. Open. Um, I was wiped out like that. The rest of that summer for me was really tough. I was just, that's the first time I really was like, man, I'm, I'm kind of don't want to play golf. I was just tired. Wasn't playing great. Um, awesome experience. I played that U S open. And then I played the one that tiger, the last one he won at 2008 was my other U S open. Um, and that's probably that second round. I, I shot 80, I think, or 79 the first day at that Tory pines U S open, but the second round I shot one under par. And that was probably one of the better competitive rounds I'd played. I, I was probably on the way out of playing golf at that point. Not, not quite then, maybe a little bit after that, but it was one of the better rounds. I didn't play that great. I felt like I, I had really good control of my game and I, I got out of the gate seven or eight over that, that 36 holes. And then the rest of the way, I think I played one under. So I was playing great. I just was, I just didn't handle the nerves. I hadn't been out there in two or three years. And it was like, it was a lot of people and I was just fired up to play. I couldn't calm down those first six or eight holes. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. So, Scott, you know, you can talk about this. I, th- I think we gotta got to get it out there. Scott played in his club yeah. championship at Park City Muni a couple weeks ago. You okay. know, he's, I'll say it. He's, he's a scratch. What, you're at a plus .6 or .3, whatever you are right now. And he went into it yeah. probably as one of the favorites. And you can tell him what happened, Scott, but you're talking about the mental part of it. And, and sure. even later in life, it, it, it's always going to be part of sports. Yeah, well, everything you just said, I went in with a ton of confidence for this tournament for the first time in, in you know, the six, seven, eight years I've been playing in this and and performed probably the worst. It, 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 that first round, I, I couldn't, I could not get the nerves um, out of my system. The, my heart was racing at a pace I, I was unfamiliar with, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and it really, well, it obviously affected my game and, and, and I finished that round thinking, this is just a diff. This is totally different than um, you know when we talk about competitive golf versus yep. you know your your average scratch player. Um, it, w- what a difference! I mean, it, so that would be sort of the next hurdle for me if if this is something that I want to continue to do and and maybe um, you know try to win at some point. Um, you know, figuring out how to how to like manage those expectations. For myself and, and and allow myself to to do what it is I've sort of trained my body to do, um, so you know what you just said resonates big time with yeah. what I just experienced. And the uh, only thing I would say for you is that you just need more exposure to it. I don't think there is any really like major fix. It's right. just like any of us have gotten into anything new in our lives. And if you haven't done it in a long time or you're not around it, like you're like, whoa, this is a little bit different. But the more you get into it and finding events to play in. And, and I would say 
you just ramp ramp up the reps and get your comfort level a little bit more up, and I I would think you'd be just fine. Yeah, and I think one of the guys that I played with on that first day who'd played some college golf said something very similar. He said, you know, play in as many of these types of tournaments as you can, and you'll become more familiar with what this this feeling your experience um, um, produces for yourself, and how to then you'll know how okay. I, I know what this is right now. Now I know how to deal with it because I've been through this before. That's it. And that's the junior golfers, college golfers, amateur, even some professional golfers. It, it is all about that. It's just understanding what's going on, being comfortable with it, and really not telling yourself the story that may not be true, which is the idea that you can't handle it. That's You maybe not handle it that one time, but that certainly doesn't mean that you couldn't in the future. And you, you see the PGA Tour littered over the years with guys that got into the last group of a major and shot 80 and go on to win one in like four or five more majors. They're like, okay, right. I know what it's like. I know what it feels like. I got myself there, so I'm good enough. Let me just keep doing this a bunch more. And then the next time they're there, they're just ready to go. Yeah. Do you deal with that with, with Joel, with Kevin? Um, I mean, how much it, it, do you deal with the mental side? Because you're their swing coach. So people would think, oh, he's just helping them with a tinkering here and there, but is, is mental come, come into the equation? hundred percent. And there's, and it's just about framing, like and using every bit of information that you can for these guys to give them what they need at the right time. And that's really all it is. It's, it's not me like perfecting their golf swing. That's certainly part of it, but it's, it's about doing the, doing the legwork on, on what their data looks like in terms of like how they're gaining or losing shots and what they maybe need to work on and what a golf course is going to present that week. And maybe some of the things you need to work with them on. And then, you know, just having the, you know, taking a shot every once in a while at something that like, Hey, you need a little bit more of this and a little bit less of this. And I always think the less is more. So the less I can tell those guys, the better, if I'm going to say something, I better have a reason for it. And if I think that it's borderline, I'll just sit on it for a while. I'll just, I'll just let it simmer for a week, maybe two weeks. I'll reflect on what it is, see if I need more information to back up what I'm going to try to like give them. And if it, if it's still non at me, then I'll usually pass it on. I'll be like, okay, this is something we need to look at. Do you have an example of that that pops to mind? Um, man, good question. Yeah. So I remember a conversation I had with Joel, like I think he was playing in Pebble Beach and he was just getting tired out because there was a lot of stuff going on. I think it was early in the year. He was maybe 50th or not even that. I think he shot like three or four over the first day. And we had a conversation that night and he was just like, he just like, he just felt like there's too many demands in his time. There's too much going on. And we just talked for 30 or 40 minutes. And it was just about, look, man, who like, honestly, it sounds funny to say when you're on the PGA tour, but just kind of who cares? Like, don't worry about what's going on. I, and you know, it was just one of those things that like let go of whatever you think you're trying to hold on to and just look, plan a trip to Vegas over the weekend, go jump in a plane, go gamble, have cocktails and like just blow it out until you're like let off some steam. You just need to every once in a while. And I know that, you know, it, it doesn't mean he's always going to go out that next day and play great, but he went out and I think he had a great day, shot four or five under, made the cut. And then the weather turned bad and he ends up, you know, shooting even par the last two days or the last two rounds or something like that and ends up finishing tied 15th. So not one thing to do with golf swing or golfing, but it's more about, hey, let go of some of these things, maybe frame it in a different way, plan some fun stuff where you can get away and enjoy yourself and then, you know, just let the golf come. Well, talking about Joel, so the PGA Championship, you're in San Francisco helping him and Kevin. Uh, we tried to, to meet up, but it, it just didn't work, and, and Joel ended up having 
one hell of a tournament. So I know why you didn't want to meet up this Sunday night. I called you out. And I said, dude, you're going to be, if Joel finishes well, <laughs> man, you're going to be celebrating, right? And, and you did. He finished, what, at nine under, I want to say, like four back. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. he, was, he was there. He had a, a, an amazing tournament. Yeah, he played awesome. I, I, he got kind of, I think he just played okay the first day. The Friday round at the PGA was probably the best I've ever seen him play. He was five under through 17 holes um, and just cruising. Like, really, I didn't miss a shot. And he it, – it's it looks funny when it – it doesn't really look funny, but it's it's funny when you're watching to watch that high level of golf. Like, it wasn't like he was driving it straight. It was like the ball was landing on the middle stripe of the fairway every hole. Hmm. It was like it was that good. Ball's landing pin high every hole. He's just shaping shots the way he wants to. Everything was good. And then I, I, I'd say, well, he got majored. Like, he got into a, hit a, a left drive on the last hole of the day. He's maybe two back of the lead. And, but like, he could see the back of the ball, but there's a long grass in front of him. Tries to get a hybrid on it. Hits it 20 feet. Tries to do it again. Squirts it into a bunker. Makes triple. And now goes, I think, four or five back going into the third day. And then, you know, he played great over the weekend. But, you know, he certainly played good enough to win the golf tournament, I thought. It, there was just a couple of, couple of holes that got him. But... And I think he starts to believe it too. I think that he knows he's good enough out there to, to win some big, some big events. And I saw it again. Just I got back yesterday, and that Sunday round that he played at the BMW, the last round of the playoffs, he was five under through no six under through eleven, which was by far the best round of the week. And then just made a couple bogeys coming in, but almost found his way into East Lake with the. He, I think he would need eight under total, but he just play, he goes through some awesome stretches of golf, and that's kind of what it is. But uh, he, he just keeps getting better and better and better, which has been really fun to be a part of. Well, I saw the standings, and I want to say maybe I'm, I'm reversing them here, but that Joel finished 32nd and Kevin 38th, so both of them just barely yeah, missed out on East Lake. Yeah, reverse it. Kevin missed by literally reverse, seven okay. points. Okay, which is you know just I don't know. It's hard. Like you don't have anything to really say to anybody. You're like, look, man, that <laughs> absolutely sucks. Uh, over a course of a year and a thousand points, I mean, that's really less than you know. It's probably a shot or two or something like that. Joel is a little bit more on the outside looking in. He needed a really special round on Sunday to get it done, and he just didn't quite get it done. But, you know, both those guys had great years. They're, um, you know, they're trending to me in the right direction. They're both just creeping inside the top 50, which should get them the majors. Uh, they're both playing U.S. Open in a couple weeks. I'm going to go to that. So a bunch of really cool stuff coming up for them. should be really fun. Sophia Popov, we have to talk about her. How long have you worked Wonderful. with her? I mean, talk about one of the more amazing stories uh, in recent sports history, and everyone's talking about maybe being the most amazing sports story of this crazy COVID 2020 year. Uh, give us some background. And I mean, she was, this is her first tournament and she wins it. I mean, is yeah, this all it's you? Cra- so we got connected through um, Joel's agent, uh, represents Sophia as well. So there's another connection there. And a- about a year ago, it was, it was last summer at some point, they, co- they contacted me like, hey, could you take a look? She plays in this just finishing LPGA year, plays in the Symmetra Tour. So we just started real small and simple, uh, just taking a look at what she likes to do and how she likes to play. And and then, you know, just more of the conversations about, you know, especially this spring, you know, she came back to Arizona, made a decision, and, and she got really lucky, I think, in the sense that the the women's mini tour called the Cactus Tour was playing every week in Arizona, more than the men's mini tour or anybody. It was literally the only professional event going on, and I thought the world during the whole crisis so she had never or had yet to won or win a professional event as a player and so she's playing between 20 and 40 girls every week in arizona and she starts winning golf tournaments 
She broke through and won. The next week, she won by like 10, I think. And her ball striking and her, and her skill set is just phenomenal, obviously. And to see her finally in the – do you guys know the backstory on how even she got into the British Open? Have you heard of the – like, I'm sure you probably heard some of the podcast stuff, but it's crazy. The whole story is crazy. Tell us about it. So, two, well, it all started with the tour school finish the previous year. She was the, the first person out of earning an LPGA tour card last fall out of, I think it was like 10 rounds of golf. She bogeyed the last hole, missed a six-footer to be on the outside looking in. Mm. So as you fast forward through the spring and into this summer, as the LPGA Tour started back up, all the international players were not traveling because of COVID. So they went down the list and to let in more players to fill the field. And she was the, one of the first ones to get in. All the, the whole year leading up to that, she'd probably played 15 or 18 tournaments and won four or five times. Her game was extremely sharp, right? She'd been playing a bunch, a lot of reps. I would say her craft was like right on the point. Like he'd just been played a lot of tournament golf. So she gets into that event at the, at the marathon in Ohio and just plays solid and finishes ninth. And she, she honestly had no idea that she earned a spot in the British Open. So they tell her after she finishes, she's like, because you finished ninth, you get a spot in the British. So... She, she's like, well, holy crap, that's crazy. So she flies back to Arizona and plays a Symmetra Tour event the week before. So she plays Monday. I, she came in for a couple hours that night, late that night on, I think on the Monday night of the tournament, which is the first day. Next day she goes out, shot 62 at like Longbow, and then ends up losing, but like a player beat her on the last hole in the Symmetra Tour event to finish second. She gets on a plane on Sunday night. She travels Monday, quarantines Tuesday practice round Wednesday and then game on on goes right through it on Thursday through Sunday and wins. Incredible. Would you have gone there if not for COVID? Would you have hopped a plane? Yeah. I mean, if she, well, I don't know. Hard to say if she would have asked, I probably would have thought about it. I, I'm, I don't know. I'm sort of okay traveling. It doesn't feel like too crazy with all this stuff going on. I've been flying around a little bit. Feels sort of okay to me, but I think it was such a short notice deal. Her boyfriend obviously flew in and was going to caddy, and we just basically stayed in touch over text message. No, not a whole lot of golf swing stuff, but it was just embrace the opportunity, have fun, like learn a bunch, and like go play great. And I, it was just that mix of like all the LPGA Tour players just hadn't played much, so I don't right. think their games are as sharp. And then when you mix in some horrendous weather the first two days, mm -hmm. like it just gave her a little head start of having two great rounds, and all of a sudden she's out in front or close to it you know, most of the big players had maybe just not had a great first two days. And so they're out of the picture. And that was just another like feather in her cap or just good luck charm, I guess, along the way to winning that thing. So a lot of reps, um, you hear of, of guys, I remember a few years ago, I think it was Troy Merritt won and he hadn't made a cut in a while. Mm -hmm. He came out of nowhere and won. And he said afterwards, well, I found something on Wednesday, like the day before the tournament started. And uh, I've always, I always find that interesting when a player says that, that just how fine, how fine of a line it can be sometimes between uh, missing cuts and winning tournaments. That's it. Um, it's razor's edge on both tours. And, you know, I, I haven't seen everybody, but I've seen a lot of like, you know, some ball striking stuff and what I see with TrackMan and, and all the stuff that I use and look at people hitting golf shots. And it's like, Sophia, Joel, all those guys are just they're they're at a higher level than most, but it's it's just giving them, you know, so like sometimes you just have to believe for players more than they believe. And that's and I needed that as a player too when I was out there. I wish I probably had more of it. Like, look, you don't need to look around and find something. Like you just need to believe in what you're doing more. 
mm-hmm. and and just see how long and how far it can take you. Just be great at what you do and keep your head down and don't look around and just see what happens at the end of the day. And it's amazing how many like how much better it can get for a lot of players and they just hone in on what they do great and not worry about a lot of other things. What's your day now? I mean, you've got uh, obviously you're at TPC Scottsdale. You've got these pros on the side. I mean, how do you kind of compartmentalize that? How often are you at at the course as opposed to dealing directly with them? Um, I know you've got your website. You've got your player pages, which is really cool if you want to check them out at robrochelle.com or check them out on Twitter. But how do you kind of do all this, Rob? Yeah, just it's pretty much full gas all the time. I like, you know, you're gone. If I'm gone for a week, I'd, you know, like literally the three minutes before I was on with you guys, I'd probably fired 25 text messages out to two or three different people that are like, Hey, take a look at this, take a look at this. I'm pretty, you know, not free with my time, but like I'm getting much busier than maybe I have been in the past. Um, so I may have to look at, you know, cutting down some of that or seeing if I can mitigate some of it, but just, you know, trying to do your best. Like you give those players what they need. I I love going to the big events at times just to see what, you know, I I love connecting like my junior golfers to the guys and girls that are playing for a living, like the three we mentioned. So like, you know, on, on, you know, later this week, Sophia will be coming in at, at a time where I try to put a junior golfer. That's a girl that's good right in the same time slot before. So they can cross paths Mm. so they can say hi to each other, say like, Hey, this person's here doing the same stuff that you're going to do. And I think it's great for the for the professionals as much as it is for the juniors. It's like you put all those things together and using all of them as as tools, I think, for everybody. It makes you know, I think I, I have more fun with it. And then I think the juniors benefit. I think the pros benefit. And it's just because everybody's been there, right? Like we've all had that time where we're like growing up and learning the game and trying to go to places where other people have already been. And I think it's super helpful to have both, you know, both sides of it and try to blend them together and then you know, try to take a couple of days for myself here and there to get out and maybe go up to Flagstaff or something like that to, to take a little break. But that's this time of year when it's busy, it's, I like it. I enjoy what I do. I have a blast. So I, it doesn't really feel like work. Um, did, was that transition into teaching a quick one from a, a player or was it something where you kind of thought about for a little while? Yeah, totally. Decided? Like I was just a, just a grinding mini tour guy at that point. And Look, the reality of mini tour golf is like you can be a pretty good mini tour golfer for a bunch of years and, and turn 50 and have literally have zero money in your bank account. Mm-hmm. You can you can make enough money to live on, but, you know, it's just not enough to start socking away a bunch of money in retirement. Like just that's just real life stuff. And, and unless you have somebody that's basically writing the checks for everything and that's guaranteed to be with you for as long as you live, which is very rare, um, then, you know, it's just one of those things. It was like it was time for me to maybe transition and track man was probably the thing that interested me the most that got me into the teaching side. I was like, this is a really interesting piece of tech um, and super powerful in what it can do and what it can help players with. And that was probably the first real inkling. I was like, all right, let's go. I'm going to try to do this. And then it just took, took a couple, two or three years of me just being on the lesson tee a lot, like a lot of lessons for a bunch of different people and just learning my craft, just like a player would. Do you play at all? anymore? Do you have time? I mean, you talk about most teaching pros that they don't play. They don't have, they don't have time to, to get out there. Yeah, it's summertime is usually when I play more, but this summer has been a little bit different than others. When it's hot here, it usually gets a little quieter, but I've been super busy. So I still like to go out with the players and try to beat them. It's just a competitor in me, especially the junior golfers. I love to just, if I can stomp on them and shoot eight under on them and torch them, then I love it. <laughs> so it just, 
me not holding any quarter for them it, like makes them better and that's the whole thing i'm after it's like look if you can't beat me you got to work harder like this is just not happening like i haven't played in two months and i'm torching you and that's that's fun for me probably not so much for them but like that's the reason that that you know for me to probably try to keep my game a little bit sharper we've got about speaking five minutes heat, left go ahead scott speaking of the heat how do you manage that you know during the summer does that affect the way you uh you know your 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 teaching sessions with, with your not students? much i mean like yeah. today's a typical day in the summertime my gear will start melting at about one o'clock in the afternoon when it's about 112 like i use iphones for cameras and my track man starts to get really hot so I'll teach from about seven until noon every day. That's five or six hours. Usually that's plenty. Um, I don't, I, I'm weird, man. I've been here long enough. I love the heat. I'd prefer it 110 or 12, even a hundred to me is really, it's been nice last couple of days at a hundred. Um, you just get, I just get so used to it that mm. it's just, I go, I was freezing in San Francisco for the oh, PGA. Man, yeah. Freezing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it looked cold. <laughs> Typical San Francisco summer, man. You guys got it. I mean, that was perfect San, San Francisco weather in the summer, man. I had literally five layers of clothes. I had a yeah. shirt, two quarter zips on, a jacket, and then another like hoodie with a beanie. And I was like, still cold. I couldn't believe how cold it was. Well, I love well, that the players Colin got to see what when we're what, watching the tournament together. Yeah, is just how how impressive it is to watch these guys hit 350 yard drives knowing exactly what that weather feels like having played hard yeah. as often as we have together um, the wind how cold it can be the, the ball typically doesn't roll anywhere out there um, so you know for what the what those guys were doing was just was was insane to watch from our perspective and I hope that and I don't know I think Steph Curry's working on something you guys probably know maybe know more than I do but the player reaction with the golf course was just the PGA did a great job with setup and fair and hard and like nothing, but like this place is awesome. It's tons of fun to play. And obviously without any of the COVID stuff, I would imagine that's a wonderful addition to like a fall tour stop. I think they should be playing there every year. That yeah. golf course is just awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because you wonder, okay, I mean, they're, they're, the president's uh, cup is going to come back there and things like that, but you think it should be a tour stop? A hundred percent. That's with the city and the location and the great golf around it and all the restaurants and the big city, all that stuff combines, especially for like, I think a fall date like that was like even, you know, October, September, the weather's usually pretty damn good. And yeah. it's like, yep. it's just a, it's a no brainer. You mix that with like Vegas and Napa and some of these other events that are in the fall. And I just think it's a home run. I think you'll have a huge field play there. I think the big boys are going to come and play because the course is good and they just enjoy being in the city. I think it's just really fun to kind of cruise around and check it out. Has all the well, ingredients. Hopefully the PGA is listening to this podcast. And, um, <laughs> well, it sounds like <laughs> we got him nudged in the right direction. It sounds like Steph's pushing pretty hard for an event, isn't he? Yeah. He, I mean, he's been talking about that for a couple of years and he's always out at Harding. Um, Clay Thompson hosts his annual tournament yeah. at Harding as well. So, yeah, I mean, it, if Steph can help push that through, that'd be, that'd be pretty awesome. Yeah. The models there before with Timberlake and some of these other guys pushing yeah. like the, you know, the, the, the uh, Palm Springs one, whatever that thing is now called. Right. Celebrity pairing with an event like that, I think works pretty well. So yeah, we'll probably we'll help see. that he asked Morikawa the question in the post round presser after he won too. I'm sure that helps, you know? <laughs> yeah. how do he get in the bubble anyways? Who's he know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> who, who does he know? What, what, what strings did Come he pull? On. Really? Cause I couldn't get in. I couldn't get in, but I don't have my press pass anymore. It sucks, man. That would have been awesome. Yeah. It's weird. It, 
I tell you what, it's weird being in a major championship and being out there and it's crickets. It's so quiet and yeah. so weird. And you guys have both played Harding. Like that front nine where like three, four, five, and six are all, it's all condensed. Yeah. And you're just, I was standing there going, it's like as a golf fan, you're looking around and you're like, all right, I can see like nine groups from here and I can watch every major player coming down the stretch on Sunday in a major with not one like applause or anything, a couple of TV trucks driving by, but it was, I mean, there's nothing out there. It was yeah. just bizarre. Yeah. So. Well, I'm glad you had fun and Joel had a great week and hey man, it's been awesome catching up with you. Um, it's been a while, but hopefully Scott and I can get down to, uh, to Scottsdale one of these days post COVID when we can move around and, and, and we'll get you back on the golf course and you can give us lesson as we play. I love that. I love that. Yeah, here we go. We'll, we'll certainly be playing for something. I don't know what it is, but it will be dinner or a bottle of wine or some cocktails cool. or whatever it is. Let's go have fun. Give Scott well, like five aside and give me about 25 per side. Okay. <laughs> yeah you sent me that video we need to get some little we need a little bit of work yeah. on your golf swing yeah i back need some in order. work i need some work i need some i've work. been trying rob i've been trying <laughs> rob rochelle this was episode five from the tips appreciate you hopping on with us man and we'll uh catch up again soon hopefully all right uh, awesome thanks guys all right that's a wrap guys we'll see you next week for episode six